Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Cadbury to my Wonka. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm mediocre. I love Cadbury chocolate. And our very own Ghirardelli. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you? Oh, Ghirardelli, the cream of the crop, San Francisco's finest. I wind up in everybody's Christmas stockings. It really, it was, it was really tough for me not to say Milton S. Hershey. So you know, <laughs> I had to, I had to fight it with every bone and, of my, my and body. And Kevin didn't want to be home of the cream eggs, whatever. Kevin, Cadbury, Cadbury, Cadbury uh, cream eggs suck for the record. Cream, cream eggs are bad. That's like the worst Cadbury candy. Cat, the best Cadbury candy is those, uh, those mini eggs, the chocolate ones with the, with the shell on the outside. Those are, I could eat like uh, Costco-sized bags of, of those. They're insane. They're like They're just giant M and M's. No, they're way better. The chocolate's better and the shell is better. It's like it's like if M&M's were perfected. <laughs> so, uh, M- M&M's perfected. Anyway, um, let's get into it. Uh, Seahawks played football last week, and uh, they certainly had a game. They played against the statue of Ben Roethlisberger. The defense looked moderately better. Good at, uh, the first half was bad. 14 nothing. The Second half was interesting. Overtime was depressing. But let I wanna I wanna start with this. We 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 a lot of talk this week about just Jamal Adams in general. Uh, Jamal Adams uh, he he very notably bounced a, a interception off his face at a thousand miles an hour in this game. Uh, so uh, there's a billion words have been written about Jamal Adams and, and the Jamal Adams trade, and I think rightfully so because we said on this podcast this Jamal Adams trade is fine if. The Seahawks are picking 24 or later in both of these drafts, right? The yep. Seahawks have to make the playoffs and either have a good record or make the playoffs and win win the first game. Otherwise, this trade is is not good. And it's trending very quickly in the direction of the of the not good right now. And so um Jamal Adams is getting a lot of there's just a lot of words being written about Jamal Adams. So I want to do a temperature check. I I try not to overdo long view stuff like this because <laughs> We, unlike most podcasts, keep going in the summer, and this is just like stealing from off-season content. But uh, people want to hear about it. So, Kevin, how do you wh- how do you feel about Jamal Adams right now? We gave him the big money contract, right? He's locked in. He's he's going to be with us for quite some time. Uh, Jamal Adams, how do you feel about it right now? So, Jamal Adams. The thing about Jamal Adams for me is, I feel like a lot of people are looking at. Jamal Adams, the player, um, very specifically when they have their take on this. And Jamal Adams, the player, is um, probably the best pass rushing defensive back in the NFL and one of the best in NFL history. Um, He's a person who's shown ability to handle tight ends in coverage. He's shown basically every trait you would want in a plus um, strong safety My issue is not with Jamal Adams, the player. My issue is with the Seattle Seahawks because I feel like the front office went out and followed a mandate to get a superstar to plug in on that defense, to get Bobby Wagner some help, to make Russell Wilson happy. And the defensive coaching staff did not have a plan for him, did not know what they wanted to do with him. Do you feel and, like it was just like a like a desperation hail mary kind of thing? Like, oh, this is a really good player that's available, and we'll figure it out, as opposed to trying to target a guy that fits in the scheme. I feel like you just said two separate things, and I agree with half of them. I don't think it was a desperation hail mary. I think it was a oh, he's a plug and play kind of guy. We'll know what to do with him when he gets here. We'll figure it out. And I think that part of it is exactly true. That was you know Pete having faith in Pete and Pete's guys. And that has not been the case. Um, My hope is having a reliable cover corner coming in in Trey Brown, which we'll get to later, can maybe help unlock a little bit more of what um, of what Jamal does well, because we saw down the stretch last season when Jamal was playing at his most effective, despite a myriad of injuries, uh, a lot of it had to do with his usage. he needs to play a lot of his snaps in the box and close to the line of scrimmage in order to do the things that he truly excels at. And 
when he's constantly being put back in coverage to help a limping side of the defensive backfield, it really limits what he can do. So as of right now, I still think that we could end up with several years of all pro level safety play. I don't think that Jamal Adams has fallen off. I don't think his skills are anything except for what I thought they were in the first place. I just feel like we've had a couple seasons of significant mismanagement. I I agree with part of what you said there, which is that like he's at his best when he can play closer to the line of scrimmage. But I don't mind he, he, when he was dropped into coverage for the Jets. He was just much better than he's been so far with us dropping into coverage. And I do think it's the kind of coverage schemes that we ask him to do more than just dropping him into coverage. Like you can drop him into coverage or have him play high safety a lot, but you need to let him do Jamal Adams things. And right now it does feel like we're jamming a square peg into a round hole a little bit. Uh, Eric, so far, Jamal Adams has missed a tackle in every single game so far this season, which I know is a source of frustration for all of us. But do you do you uh, do you feel like um, the turnaround is coming for Jamal, or or is this uh, is this a kind of a systemic or or bigger problem? Uh, right there, I think you asked two separate questions. I will. I, say, I, I try to layer yeah, it in there. For layer you. it in there. Uh, is the turnaround coming? I don't think it's coming this year. Uh, going back to the questions you asked, Kevin, I think the the hubris of Pete kind of took over where he thought this is a guy we can get plug into our system. Everything will be great. We can use him pass rush. We can use him out in coverage. It'll be awesome. And he's, he hasn't really done either one successfully last year. He, you know, we blitzed the hell out of the, the opposing offenses with Jamal Adams and it worked really well for us, but it was like, well, is that what Jamal Adams is going to do all the time? Now, if that was his only job, I'd say that'd be a great use of him. But I think, like you said, we have not used him in coverage correctly. I don't think any of this is on Jamal. I don't think Jamal is a good fit for our system or a good fit for the system we are trying to run with the talent we currently have. If you look back at when we got Jamal Adams, Pete probably thought our pass rush was going to be a little better and that our secondary wouldn't be so inept. He probably thought the linebackers were going to fall in line, everything would be fine. He didn't realize that Bobby Wagner will, in fact, age, that the other guys coming in on the other side of Bobby Wagner will have some growing pains. I think this is a defense that could suddenly take a big quarter turn or half turn next season. I think that is possible. But as of right now, I feel like Jamal Adams getting better in our system is... If it gets better this year, it's not going to be marketably better where you would say, oh, this this is what we got with Jamal Adams. You know, I just I don't see that this season. Um, so the Seahawks uh, in DVOA right now are still ninth. They're still in the top 10, even at two and four. Our estimated win total for this year is is three point four. So we've kind, we've we've underperformed thus far. Do you can you guys? Do you guys think there's any specific reason that we've underperformed kind of the expectations based on the 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 kind of the advanced metrics there? Like why are why are the Seahawks underperforming? Why do we only have two wins and not three or even even on the lucky side four? Uh, I wanna... I'll tackle first if you don't mind, Kevin. Yeah, uh, I think it comes down to early in the season. I mean, we had a great week one, week two, we gave that game to the Titans. There's no other way you can look at it. Week three against the Vikings. This was a game that although we lost by 13, 10 points, what was it? This was still an extremely winnable game. That entire game we thought we were going to win as fans. And it was like, holy crap, we're going to lose this game. Are you kidding me? So right there, that's just, two just didn't even score in the second half. Right? Yes. Like- and, and this is with a healthy Russell Wilson. This is with a running game that we're supposed to be using. So, you know, defense be damned, that was a game we should have won, especially with Shane Waldron and all these great things we kept hearing about and a healthy team on offense. I I think that is two wins right there. Uh, mix that with the San Francisco win, that's four wins. And Russ gets hurt. We can weather that storm. Uh, and even these last couple weeks, I mean, God bless Chino. Uh, we should have at least been a little more competitive at the end of those games, Kevin. Yeah, it's it's tough. It just feels like when the game is on the line, like like G, uh, I, I think I don't, I don't know who it was it was a national media guy. Maybe it was like Ryan Clark. He said Geno Smith can keep you in the game, but he's not going to go out there and win it for you. 
and man, that just feels like it's a hundred percent true, yep. right? Uh, he's he keeps us in the game, but we need someone else to step up and make the big play. And right now, I just don't know who that is. Like, who's going to make the the toxic play that kind of pushes us over the top in these close games? And I could totally see us being the team that just consistently is losing by three points, seven points, ten points, and is hanging around in every game. And oh, they're dangerous. The Seahawks team isn't as bad as everyone thinks, but. Uh, the advanced metrics love the Seahawks, but we're just barely losing every game because of all this this little stuff, you know, this little little stuff that's very frustrating. Um, all right, Kevin, uh, why do you think we've underperformed so far? I think that there's a little bit of a balance where uh, last season um, we outperformed our differential. Uh, we had some pretty significant luck, especially early in the season. Um, we won some games that. You know, you could argue we probably shouldn't. The only team that we really took care of business against was Atlanta. And you could argue we're getting the other side of the coin this season. Like, you know, what's last season look like if um, we don't have plays like the final drive against Minnesota and the touchdown pass to DK? Uh, the answer is this. This is what that looks like. So I think that's definitely one part of it. Um, another part of it is some of the kind of clutch performances that we came to rely on. You know, Russ got injured, so Gino's out there. Fumbles are kind of fluky, but, you know, we have an interception and a fumble by our backup quarterback as our last offensive plays in the last two games. That's the kind of thing that is more prone to happening with your backup quarterback in there. You know, some of the injury luck stuff caught up to us. It's not surprising when you're aging quarterback ends up missing a few games here and there. Um, you know, we have the greatest, we have the greatest kicker in NFL history, but dudes missed two field goals and an extra point so far this game or this season. And that has been something to consider. So I think it's a lot of those things adding up. And basically we were uh, operating above the curve last season and we're operating below the curve so far this season. I think regressing to the mean is something that is likely to happen, but the NFL season's short. Yeah, so last season we we basically outperformed our win expectation by one win. And I and I I agree like if we just underperform by one win this year, it looks like we'd be heading towards like a 10-win season, probably a fringe playoff team, but that could get worse, right? Our win expectation could get worse as Geno plays. <laughs> puts yeah, puts more games in the in the hopper. The, if, so, if Russ is back, uh, if you know if Gino plays two more games and then Russ comes back, yeah, this is a salvageable season probably, or at least you know playoff contention is there. If it's longer, that's a big problem. Yeah. So um, our odds to make the playoffs, according to Football Outsiders, right now it has us our playoff odds at twenty five percent, and to me that feels about right. Um, if they they predict that we will go eight and nine and mm-hmm. uh i think that's probably close to it unless you know rush comes back on fire or this defense takes a bigger step forward than even we saw last night um because there was problems with this defensive performance let's get into it okay so the defense comes out and they they don't allow a ton of points but only 23 points in, and that's in overtime too but i didn't think it was a great defensive performance just a good one um ben roethlisberger looks terrible Let's just throw that out there. That guy. Would you rather? Would you rather start Ben Roethlisberger next week or Geno Smith? Uh, Geno, probably Geno. Yeah, that's that's. I think I think says everything you need to know about Roethlisberger. And what did we say before the game? You gotta take their terrible offensive line. You gotta get Ben off the spot. And whenever Ben was actually rushed, it wasn't wasn't so good. Okay, Ben uh, uh, under. Uh, under siege, he had a fumble, a weird fumble, right? Like the that. Uh, what was that? Oh, according to him, it? it wasn't because he talked to an astrophysicist or something. What that's? You saw that uh, weird fumble though, right? Like it's like he, yeah, he went to he went to do the pump fake because he always does like nine pump fake clutches, and you know he uh, heard footsteps because there were footsteps bearing down on him, and he basically uh, like missed his off hand when he was going to do like the double clutch. And like, kind of let up like it was going to touch his other hand, and it just went straight into the ground. Yeah. So Steelers uh, had a lot of angry things that they shouldn't have been angry about in this game. Seven, you had two point two one 
uh, seconds uh, on his average time to throw, though. Like, I mean, he was throwing the ball fast. He was throwing the ball fast. We only had seven pressures. And so it, they made it. Sacks. They made it very difficult for us to put Brent off his spot. And they just kept throwing to the running back, which is a clear weakness of our team, right? Like we've said this a million times. Like if you just keep throwing to the running back, like we have a hard time first for whatever reason, uh, we have a hard time just, just stopping the running back runs. I think Najee Harris had six catches, right? And they went short to Deontay Johnson a bunch of times. Uh, they threw to Pat Fryermuth a whole bunch, which is another like middle of the field thing that we have trouble with. He had seven catches for fifty-eight yards. Is it was a the Seahawks did defense did Seahawks defense things, and I think if you th- looked at this game and you thought, oh, only twenty-three points against the Steelers, they have a lot of good weapons: Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Cl- Chase Claypool. You should really reassess how you feel about this game. It was an okay defensive performance, but by no means a good one. Um, did anyone stand out for you? Uh, I, I, I call Trey Brown because I'm the, I'm the king of the Trey Brown hive, but, but, uh, anybody other than Trey Brown stand out to you guys, uh, on, on defense as the draft guy, I will say that I'm very salty that you're claiming that corner. Hey, whoa, I've been claiming it for since the preseason. I, I, I said, I'm the king of the Trey Brown hive. All, all must, uh, must, must come to me first. Trey Brown. I didn't realize I needed to say tap, tap spots back after I did my draft analysis. (laughs) Too late. You deleted him just like I did because he had short arms. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Act like. Um, but uh, okay, Trey Brown, great. Obviously, I think that that sucks though because Pete Carroll obviously knew what he had right here, right? And so we played six games with a completely deficient left cornerback because Pete Carroll wanted to wait around for Trey Brown and not block him, and probably lost at least one game because of it. And that's just like such deficient. I'd argue one and a half because I think if Sidney Jones doesn't get hurt, Trey Brown doesn't see the field against Pittsburgh. Oh, God. And that's gross. I don't even want it. Yeah, you're probably right. So it's just like this, this, um, this team. Yeah. Pete Carroll, whatever it's Pete's defense and it's his fault that he, he's doing a terrible job with this defense. Like he, yeah, he gave the veteran a shot. He hates starting rookies. Then go get Richard Sherman. Like go get Stefan Gilmore. Go get CJ Henderson. There's so many corner, good quality NFL. Go talk to Denver, who has like seven corner uh, starting quality NFL outside cornerbacks, and be like, "Hey, what can we give you for one of those?" Because obviously, we need to win this year, right? It's not like a, it's not like, oh yeah, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just, it'll be an off year. We'll get a great Russ is hurt. We'll get a great draft pick. We don't have our first round draft pick, so we have to actually be good. We need to try because it's not. We can't just be. Because other teams have done this, right? Aaron Rodgers has a down year. Uh, Green Bay just uses their first round picks to try to improve their team, right? That's that's a the thing other teams with great quarterbacks have done. Uh, Saints, Saints were bad like every other year for a long time, right? But they use their bad years to kind of refill the. But this can't be a refill year for us because we already traded our first round pick. We have to be good, and we have we have cap room, we have assets. Like, why did we play with bad cornerbacks for, for six weeks? I'm, I'm, it, Pete's killing me. I'm, I'm slowly dying, guys. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 this is, this softly. is, uh, one of the many exhibits in the, if it's down to Pete or Russ, this is why we choose Russ, uh, evidence file. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin, I know, I wanted you to talk about Daryl Taylor, though. Because yeah. I'm, I'll talk about Daryl Taylor because kind of coming uh, out party. I mean, here's the thing. He had, uh, 24 pass rushing snaps, 35 overall snaps, and that includes the fact that he went out of the game with an injury. Um, which we're hearing he might be playing. So I'm I'm happy to hear that it's not a serious one yeah. because that was pretty scary. Pete said just a sore neck. So his head fell off. Got it. Oh, sorry. No, he said sore neck, not a neck thing. We're good. Um, otherwise, it'd be like headless Taylor he's, out there. He's, he's uh, dead. Yes, is, he's literally dead. It is the Halloween season, Kevin. Um, so uh, he got a couple of pressures. Uh, he... He made a bad offensive line look bad, and even with as fast as uh, Ben was getting rid of the football, he still was able to get to him a few times. And yeah. so this is and it, one of those things where you want a pass rusher like Daryl Taylor to be able to get a good number of snaps and never have a game where he fully disappears. That's what killed us with Jadeveon Clowney was. He had... Like you were putting him on a milk carton every couple of games. Daryl Taylor hasn't had one of those games yet. No matter how many snaps he plays, he at least shows up for a couple of snaps where you're going, whoa, Taylor's on that play. 
And I thought I thought actually he should have, he had more than two pressures because I went back and just like tried to watch Daryl Taylor a little bit. And there's two players I was watching on defense, Daryl Taylor and Trey Brown. And uh, I thought that he one thing about him is, you know, you talk you talked a lot about how uh, you thought he had like elite athletic skills, but just wasn't able to um, kind of put his pass rush set. And they just really unleashed him as a speed rusher in this game. He looks so bendy around the around the yeah. edge, around the tackle. And I thought he did a really good job getting around the tackle and uh and making plays and yeah it was kind of sucked because it looked like he was kind of emerging and it's like yeah he's gonna be the guy you know like they're gonna let him play you know half of the snaps or more and they're gonna let him really kind of be our pr- primary pass rusher he's being they're getting the frank clark role right and then of course the weird neck injury and then they made it extra scary because they they did what they're supposed to do you know play it safe i don't i'd ra- i'd rather not apparently Dar- daryl taylor was super pissed though like he was like, he was like, I'm fine. I can get up. Let me get up. And they're like, nope, don't move. I love that about him. Yeah, that, but that's very Daryl Taylor. Like, you yes. remember that that clip? Uh, oh, that the clip Tennessee with, clip. Tennessee we gonna clip whoop their ass. Yeah, it's just he's he's that is Daryl Taylor. Like he is a, he's a gamer, and so I, I love it. I want. I'm excited to see him come back. Uh, all right, so we got Daryl Taylor. We got Trey Brown. Okay, uh, Eric, DJ, who's your guy? TJ Reed. This was uh, a a secondary that we've had no faith in. And I'm not saying that DJ Reed was this amazing corner this week, but he had like two pass deflections. It looked like three. He had a nice breakup. Uh, he was going up against a good receiver and an offense that is sputtering. I don't, we need to keep this in check a little because the, the Steelers don't, don't have a prolific offense anymore, but it was a nice little uh, building brick to build things on little foundational piece to get this young defense. Yeah going forward a little bit he had two great pass breakups he had him and brown both had excellent run stops including brown with the stand up the stand up run stop to save or to save the game on the you just thought on that when he he thumped ray ray mcleod on the outside yeah Yeah. on the outside and you just thought when that when that came through it's like man that's that's a because that's a tough tackle but man he low man wins he did it (laughs) he got he got low on it and got on his knee and and really like pushed and I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you show people. Like you well, should, you another show thing your... for DJ Reed, though, uh, he had a couple of pass breakups that counted. Um, his best pass breakup, in my opinion, was in the end zone, and it was a play that didn't count because of a defensive offsides penalty on Alton Robinson. Yeah, but point, he jumped up and broke up that pass. Um, that was another one where it was just it was uh, he played the man, he played the ball, like. At this point, I feel like DJ Reed is playing at least as well as uh, Shaq Griffin was when Shaq Griffin was playing reliably well. Not his peak play, but at least like his solid level play. And if we can get that level of play on both sides of the field at corner, I think it really changes up what our defense does. Yeah, it's just we need to combine the the improved secondary play with with the good pass rush play that we, we had. Because, I mean... These guys just weren't – the pass rush was not visible enough in this game, and it, it made a difference. If we start yeah, sacking team the five quarterback – Team 5-9, Team 5-9. Maybe it's because all of our defensive linemen wear stupid numbers like 8 and 10. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it fouls on number 9. I'm like, who? I don't know. Well, I was, no, I was thinking uh, they're both 5-9 corners. Well, that that's undersized corners, corner club. Yeah, Reed and Brown, double, the double five nine corners. Nathan. Nathan, I think, uh, has had to mute himself due to small people in the room. Oh, that's terrible. So, uh, so actually, we'll probably end up having to cut this anyway. That's fine. <laughs> Let's keep going. Anything else? Uh, do we want to go special teams, Kevin? We never talk special teams. Oh, no. You want to go special teams? Oh, see, I was waiting we for you. We talk all three phases in this game. Yeah, all three phases, uh, Nathan. Tra- uh, Travis Homer, special teams world champion. Uh, I don't know. He had Travis highest, Homer, like, not a schlub right until they put him in and he was a schlub. Uh, I thought DJ Dallas did a good job of taking out the end zone and not making me hate him for it. That was, uh, <laughs> that was really nice. Game. I, I hate our return game because, yeah, it's like they run back every kick and then they fair catch every punt. Although this game, <laughs> they did return three punts. One of them, Tyler Lockett almost got murdered. One yes. of them, Freddie Swain almost got murdered. And I'm like, do the, does the kick coverage not understand that they can return it? Is that the 
is that the problem? Like, did they forget? They surprised their own coverage team. Oh God, it's 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 rough. I I don't I know. Didn't I didn't know. I couldn't do that. Uh, kicking kicking grades. Uh, Myers Myers looks pretty good. Uh, you know, he, he nailed knocked down two forty plus yard field goals. Uh, knocked in both extra points. Dixon is Dixon. He he good. Sixty five reliable. Sixty five yards on the longest one there. It's pretty sweet. So and should have had one down inside the three. Except uh, bro. Is there their punter looks like as Flocktimus said their punter looks like he ate he ate uh Sebastian, Sebastian Janikowski. that guy is huge I I looked it up he his his book score which I mean they they have to be they they embellish on this right like they make him sound better right six foot two hundred and fifty five pounds you know who he reminds me of that is uh, that is it, big that's oof. a big boy do you remember Jared Lorenzen? the Kentucky quarterback who ended yes. up on the Giants. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was around the time you joined the podcast, Kevin, because I know you were really excited about that guy. I'm pretty... uh, that is that is absolutely incorrect. But <laughs> I, think, I think you're off by like a decade. But that's cool. <laughs> no, Jared, the... Jared, Jared Lorenzen, rest in peace, by the way. Oh, I'm thinking yeah, of a different yeah, RIP. I'm thinking about he a died. different giant quarterback. No, this is the this was the fat guy. They called him Pillsbury Throwboy. Yep. You don't, you don't remember that? that guy. Maybe okay. we just joked about him so much. Let's that go to let's go to Seahawks offense. Every oh, running time does go by. Every running back now now hurt. Um, next week Penny gets back, so we can watch him do five rushes before he gets hurt. So, say, so we can watch how, another running back I, on a scale on a scale of one to ten. How much are we looking forward to the DJ Dallas era? Uh, I for one welcome. I want I for one welcome our new DJ Dallas overlords. Oh, Remember boy. the preseason man. I like this guy a lot and. He he's had a couple runs this year where he hasn't looked good, but yeah, I'd love to see it. Just hold on to the ball. That's that's going to one. You ready for this? I, I want to go in a different direction with this. First of all, Alex Collins first 100 yard rushing game for the Seahawks since 2019. So good, what? good, good job. Nice. I, I thought Alex Collins looked great, and it, it was yes. notice. It was noticeable when he went out. Like there was like, oh no. Uh, he had 2.7 yards per attempt after contact, four missed tackles, forced uh, three 10 plus yard runs too. So he was get he was get hitting them both uh, both long and short. Uh, when we leaned on him on that drive to start the second half, that was beautiful. I want to see Geno Smith do some designed runs. <laughs> Geno Smith can run a four six forty. He's very fast. It is one of his big skills. Uh, I want to see them do some Geno Smith designed runs because I'm I'm worried about what this team's going to look like if it's the DJ Dallas show. At, uh, well, they at can't do that. Wait, wait, what or, if we do it? What if we do RPOs with a quarterback that might actually keep it? That's the thing. Does he just watch Russ too much and doesn't want to keep it? Because like he did, he did. Keep I don't know. Because he'll throw over the middle. He did keep him all. Yeah, that's true. He did throw over the middle. Uh, I think it's too early to tell. This last seven, week. seven of his. He went seven of nine from zero to ten yards. I feel like that's more throws to the sh- short middle than Russ has ever thrown. He's going all Johnny Mox. Russ is like, you got to throw it to the outside and never, ever, ever keep the ball. And he's like, I don't want your laugh. Okay. Gino didn't well, get a chance to like showcase much this game, though, because he was he was constantly under pressure. The O-line wasn't well, helping him. I beg to differ. He definitely showcased Geno Smith's skills. Well, that's, a, that's the thing about Geno Smith, okay? As it, he was 20 for 26. 77% completion percentage, 7.4 yards per attempt, and a touchdown when he was kept clean. When under pressure, 11 dropbacks, 6 for 3, uh, he was terrible. He only threw for 16 Wentz. yards under pressure. And this is what G- this is Geno Smith, man, in a nutshell. Like, you cannot let him get pressured. He got sacked five times. He just got the crap beat out of him. And Geno Smith under pressure is really bad. And, and he was getting pressured on two thirds on a third of his dropbacks, which is horrible. Like you just cannot have that. That is not, Dwayne Brown got beat like a drum this game. It was not that, my favorite Dwayne Brown. That game. is not the. I mean, they had six sacks, fifteen pressures, and it was coming from everyone too. Highsmith, Watt, Ta, uh, Hayward, Wormley, Ingram. Like they, they had everyone coming in to do it. I mean, Ingram only pass rushed eleven times and got two pressures. Like they, they were bringing guys in that don't even normally play very much and just killing us with them. So, uh, yeah. If Gino's going to be successful, I think you need to do some design runs to get the pressure off balance because they that 
they were over they were basically saying like hey you can run between the tackles that's allowed we're gonna play wide nines with both guys like these guys are gonna be so far outside the tackles and we're just gonna speed rush and now your tackles aren't gonna be able to keep up but beat us running who can beat us running up the middle and we were just like eh the whole first half we just decided not to do it and yeah, when I watched back, I, I was like, okay, I when when P. Carroll at halftime said we need to run the ball more, I was like, Grandpa Pete, you idiot. Like, what are you talking about? And then I when I watched the game back, I watched the first half, and I was like, oh, yeah, they're daring us to run the ball up the middle of the field. Like, they're basically saying, yeah, do, do this. We'll, fun, we'll funnel you in and give you four yards of play or something. So I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, I wish they could have figured that out before they went in for halftime, you know, maybe in the second quarter. Yeah, like start. one score earlier. That would have made a big difference. <laughs> It's just classic Seahawks to uh, to under adjust like that to just I don't know uh, that's this what the team is at right now right this is just where the team is at right now. All right, Eric, uh, who is your offensive hero of the game? Oh, offensive hero of the game. I guess we've already gone Alex Collins. Um, no, take Alex Collins. It's got to be Alex. Collins. He deserves he deserves more more praise. I think I can't I can't give it to up. anyone else. I really can't because I because of Geno Smith being Geno Smith because of the offensive line. We didn't really get to see a whole lot. I'm not giving DK Metcalf a lot of credit for that uh, Shannon Sharp-induced uh, anger <laughs> rant. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Alex Alex Collins, welcome back to the Seahawks. And it's uh, we look forward to seeing you back. Uh, I don't know when, when he or Carson are coming back, if it's going to matter. I'm glad that we are stocked up on running backs, though. So actually, I'm going to go with DK Metcalf as my my guy oh, wow. here, and it, it's because I thought it was cool to see DK kind of uh, perform as a more possession style guy, right? That something that normally he doesn't get asked to do, but his average at the target was only six point two yards. They really asked him to to get the ball, you know, short of the sticks and and move after the catch and uh, do do kind of I don't know what normally might be what we think of as as possession or slot receiver guy stuff, and I thought he did really well, and so. I was impressed but to see him kind of modify his game. That fumble was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't I don't know why you don't just run out of bounds there. I, I don't know if he just thought like he I guess he wanted a touchdown. He wanted a touchdown. He, he's probably thinking if we score a touchdown we win the game and and honestly if we don't score a touchdown we'll lose and he was right. So maybe maybe you know what maybe DK was was on to something. But yeah, I think DK for me I was I was just impressed about the way he changed his game a little bit to kind of fit what Geno Smith's uh, capabilities are, which Geno Smith doesn't go downfield. He throws short and uh, and DK was able to kind of still be okay with that. All right, Kevin. So we yeah. already did. Well, Colin... and that's two in a row that uh, DK's kind of done that, where he played like a, I would say, a very in control game. And uh, so, anybody other than DK and Alex Collins stand out to you, or is that kind of a? Kind uh, of yeah, somebody that I thought I really would have liked to have a week earlier, um, but couldn't get back due to uh, testing protocol issues. Uh, I like Gerald Everett. I just like what he brings to this offense. He had that one really impressive play. Aside from that, like he was decent in the blocking roles they gave him. I would love if he would have gotten a few more things to do. I would have liked if he had gotten a few more targets. But with what he was given to work with, I thought he showed, you know, if he ends up being our number three option in a game, he's not a terrible number three option. Like he's he's athletic. He's a good move tight end. Um, he can be dynamic within the structure of this offense. So I would like to see him get an expanded role. As long yeah. as they're not jet sweeps. And the offense, no the offensive comment. line, the offensive line was just all over the place, especially uh, Damian Lewis and, and then Damian Lewis's replacement. Uh, How much do you Jones. think of that as a Kyle Fuller issue? Uh, I don't know. I thought Kyle Fuller looked okay in this game. Like he was not noticeably bad. So that's probably as good as you can expect from Kyle Fuller. And not gonna, he didn't like ever stand out. I'm like, oh, Kyle Fuller, what a block. But I, I don't know. It, it's hard I to often stay. feel like um, a center that has issues figuring out what the help side should be uh, can end up leaving guards like. Yeah, and it's hard to tell because knowing exactly what the uh, blocking scheme is is a difficult thing to parse while you're watching game tape. But. I feel like oftentimes when you have subpar center play, um, you end up having like, I thought Gabe Jackson had a really good game. I thought there were a few times where Gabe Jackson was getting help he didn't need while uh, Jones or Lewis were kind of getting like left out to dry. And those are things that aren't going to necessarily show up for Fuller. 
It's just I, mistakes that he's making. Their defensive line played so wide. And I just felt like there was gaps to run in that we were just in, in to that we were just not using. And, and Gino, of course, just drops straight back like Russ used to do where mm-hmm. he and he puts leaves his tackles hanging out the drive. He just stays really high in the pocket, too. We also wouldn't have had this these same problems because they were just basically speed rushing on every play. It felt like it felt like Gino got like nine passes batted down. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that was so frustrating. And it was it looked exactly just, the same every time. Just get higher in the pocket like he's so far back and he's like his tackles have to work so hard every play because he's they're just too short to throw it over the middle is the problem. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's he he only I throws it Kevin. over the middle four yards down the field. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, he was doing his best Big Ben impression. Yeah, I thought and the end of the game was insane. The end of regulation here with the the fumble and then the the recovery the swain running it back to the middle and then uh and the then the challenge the ref, the ref then, just yeah. ch- touching it and then they stop play and then they, i feel like they got the call right they the did end. but it was it, a mess it was it was so it was so messy like pittsburgh fans can be like salty if they want because the uh scoreboard operator didn't understand when to stop the clock but the fact of the matter is like that that was how that play worked <laughs> so yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping for a better game next week from eugene cyril smith and uh we can we can just get get it going uh a little bit i i don't know we need to win at least one of the next two games and probably both if we're going to have serious aspirations of being a competitive playoff team. Yeah. Right? We, if we, if we can't, if we can't win both games, then we're asking, basically we need Russ to come back ASAP and we need and him we to need win to almost one, win out. We need him to win one of two against green Bay and Carrick and Arizona, right. Coming off the injury, yep. which, which is, which is tough. He he. That those those become. You have to get one of two, and you might need to get two of two. Russell, it's be just so ready. We're just behind the eight ball. We're super behind the eight ball right here. And and like we said, there's no reason for our team not to try to win, right? Like they need to try to win because the we don't have a first round to pick. Win the game. We do Hello? not. We do not have a first a first round pick. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Don't worry, uh, we'll get one in a couple of years. Uh yeah, At but the Jets, the Rams, yeah, because of because of our pick plus the Jets record, you know they have the second best chance of getting number one pick. So you know we're 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 helping their odds by point three apparently percent. So good job by them. Okay, <laughs> I don't think we'll be that bad. No. So okay, um, let's uh, get into it. Next week, the Seahawks face the New Orleans Saints, uh, a team with kind of reverse issues of the Seahawks have had this season. Um. A very consistent, um, high-performing defense, as opposed to us with the very consistent, high-performing offense. A good special teams group, much like our own, but a very inconsistent, all-over-the-place offense that is very hard to peg on a week-to-week basis. Like one week, you think you think you got it figured out. You think the Saints got it figured out, and uh, boom, they lose twenty-seven to twenty-one to the Giants. Yep, uh, they lose twenty. You think, oh, well, last week they they looked great. They went out and they. They really they scored thirty eight points against the the Packers. You know this is they got to figure it out. Boom! They only put up seven against the Panthers. Like this team is Jekyll and Hyde is super super hard to figure out. And so I I have trouble even coming up with a prediction for this game because what Saints team shows up will greatly impact what what the Seahawks are able to do. We kind of know what the Seahawks are capable of. They're going to score between twenty and twenty eight points. Right? That's the kind of where the offense is at with Geno. Would we all agree with that? Yep. Yeah. Like. As long as the running backs aren't so injured that that the game, that we just cannot get the running game going, I, we're going to score two twenty twenty points. Can we stop the Saints from from matching that? Is is there? Can or can we stop, the Saints stop themselves from matching that? Is question. another question. Same thing. Yeah, that's just a. I mean, the Saints are eighth in DVOA. We're ninth. Like they're we're they're we're right next to us, and it does feel like we are in very similar kind of team other than the fact that we obviously have two 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 more losses yeah if our offense with russell wilson was playing with their defense behind them you're talking like a number one team in the nfl but that's not how football works that would be a 28.8 they would be number oh wait no plus the special teams to get an extra bonus yeah they'd be third third best team in the league right now behind buffalo and arizona our offense plus their defense so yeah that's a we should do that. We should ask them if they want to let us borrow their defense for the rest of the year. <laughs> and uh, we'll give them a, a draft pick. We don't have any anyway. Who cares? 
So <laughs> how do we how do we attack New Orleans, Kevin? From what you've seen though, like what what is what are the key what is gonna be the key to to kind of matching up with the with the Saints this week? So uh are you talking about our offense versus their defense or just in general? You can go either way. You can go you can go offense versus their defense or their defense versus our offense. Okay, so our offense versus their defense, I think the big thing is um Marshawn Lattimore is still kind of their only guy who's covering. Uh, and that includes like their linebackers are doing okay. Um, their safeties are okay. Uh, and their slot corner and their uh, whoever's playing opposite uh, deep corner to Marshawn Lattimore um, are below average in coverage. So can we stress their corners using Tyler and DK? Um, I would like to see Gino kind of understand how to use Tyler a little bit better. I felt like he was underutilized in this game, though. I also think a lot of the batted passes were passes that were heading towards Lockett on like um, quick passing plays like slants. So I think that's one area where we could get a little bit of an advantage to get our offense going. I think the other area is they have a really, really strong run defense, but um, their run defense is kind of... um, plays best up the middle. Uh, If we can use our zone run scheme and if we can get our linemen to the second level on their linebackers, I think we can bust some pretty good runs. So I would say we're not going to have a ton of success. A lot of success against this defense looks like 20 points. Okay. And yeah, they're, they're really good against the rush number two in DVOA. They're pretty good against the pass, just ninth. Like they're they're good against the pass. Don't get me wrong, but they're not they're not like in, incredible. They're not world beaters. Uh, I'm worried because right now their pass rush is very Cameron Jordan focused. Right, he has 21 pressures. The next best is 12. It's a bunch of other guys with just a couple pressures or whatever. A lot they're, of rookies, that kind of thing. But Mark, but the Marcus Davenport has been designated to return this week, and I, oh no, and I don't want him to come. Like he's he he could come back from his pectoral injury this week. Now, obviously, you know you, you designate someone to return from IR, and then they have up to three weeks before you have to put him back on IR, and they're done for the season, right? So it could just be you know they're designating him to return, but he won't be back till the following week, right? But I really don't want Marcus Davenport to come back because to me it does tilt tilt it a little bit even farther in the. Um, in yeah, that's significant direction. So I'm I'm worried. Quan Alexander's also maybe coming back, but I don't not that one doesn't worry me quite as much. I would he's, love to have his missed tackles back on the field. Yeah, say he's he's okay. Quan Alexander is a mixed bag and he, he he's kind of like a he puts a lot of stuff on the table but also takes some things off of the table. So I I'm I'm a yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but he's he's fine. He's not like I he's not atrocious. I think I gave him too hard of a time in the past. He misses a lot of tackles though for sure. Uh, I think the Chauncey, other big thing is on offense, though. Oh, sorry. Chauncey Gardner, Gardner Johnson is a huge jerk and not very good. So really go after, <laughs> really go after that guy with DK and and try to get him ejected or, or just make him make his life miserable. That's that's what I want to see. So good I would say as far as our defense stopping their offense, um, it depends like what Jameis shows up. Because if it's turnover prone, Jameis, then I could see us walking out of here with like three interceptions. Um, you know, Quandre is a ball hawk. Uh, we have a couple of corners who are actually pretty decent in coverage, and Trey might actually play the ball as opposed to only playing the man like most of our corners have been doing. Jamal, Jamal Adams lets the ball bounce off his face at 1,000 miles an hour. Hey, tip drill. Yeah, exactly. We just need somebody else to catch it after tip it bounces drill. off his face mask. Um, oh, the other thing is there that the New Orleans interior offensive line is vulnerable. Uh, they've got some dudes there. Uh, Andrews Pete looks pretty washed. Um, Cesar Ruiz has not been the guy that they thought they were getting in the draft. Uh, Calvin Throckmorton's been decent, but not great. I would I feel see... so bad if someone called me washed when I was 28 years old. Like, I'm not even that old, just like I'm already washed. Yeah, deal with it. Uh, don't play like Andre Speed <laughs> then. So, uh, the thing is, I could see like Jamal Adams, uh, and Bobby Wagner blitzes on the inside could be devastating. Uh, interior pressure. Uh, could be a huge difference maker in this game. Interior pressure is always a really desirable outcome, but specifically in this game, interior pressure could be something that creates a nightmare situation for uh, the New Orleans offense. And if 
the and if Jameis gets chased out, you know, Jameis is not a great scrambler. He's not a super fast quarterback, um, despite what weird draft pundits tried to say about him. Uh, so if he's a guy who tries to escape from the pocket, when you have as fast of edges as we do in pursuit, that is a really bad situation for New Orleans. So it, I think our ability to get the pass rush going is going to be key to our ability to keep their offense from they, doing that well. They have to take advantage of the fact that they have a backup tackle and three young interior defense linemen. It's, it's Ryan Ramjick and guys that you should be able to to get after, right? Mm-hmm. So so like this is this is the time to to kind of. Well, I mean, two it. young guys and a wash dude on the interior. Let's talk about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and they their their wide receiver situation is a joke. Like it's a bunch of guys that Ty Montgomery, Kenny Stills, Chris Hogan, uh, that Marquez Callaway. We should be able to cover these guys, turn them into a running team, and we are good at stopping the run. It is the thing that we are good at. Short passes to Kamara could be the death of us, though. Yes, if they just throw like a thousand uh, circle routes to Kamara and just get six yards every play, we'll we will get. And man, it just sucks that something. Our coaching staff is so dumb. Like they have to, <laughs> they we wow. have to know that that it's coming right, and then yes. And they're still not going to stop it. I already know. I already know I'm going to be sitting there in the fourth quarter and Jameis, it's going to be, you know, 17 to 13 Seahawks. And Jameis is going to be driving down the field with three yard passes to to Alvin Kamara and then tight end, uh, tight end seam routes to Adam Troutman just over and over. Just a thousand of them. And Jawan Johnson just running down the field. At the, oh, it's just gonna be, oh my god, I'm already so mad. Wow, you're getting <laughs> so anxious about this. I hate it. I hate it because it's, this is a winnable game. We are good enough to win this game, even with Geno. We have enough talent, but man, I just don't have the faith that that's what's that's what's going to happen. It's just it's just hard. It's hard to after what we've seen. And you know what's going to be the worst is like it's going to be like a five yard. Uh, like option read run pass option play from the five yard line by Taysom Hill that kills us. No, it's going to be a screen pass to Alvin Kamara where he breaks two tackles and runs 75 yards. Well, that's the other play. It's going to be one, one of each, right? We got 38 year old Taysom Hill. No, I think he's only actually 31, but okay. All right. I mean, he's older than their washed guard. Let's do, let's do picks. Eric. I have the saints at, 27 Seahawks 18 18 nice yeah that's a weird number I like it yeah I was going 22 I didn't want to be too weird I didn't want to be schwam level yeah. <laughs> 117 to, to 41 three <laughs> all right Kevin what do you think uh I have New Orleans winning 20 to 17 I'm gonna go 21 20. To the Seahawks. All right. So there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest for as little as $1.24 a month. Get access to the Patreon Picks podcast. It's a lot of fun. It's already up for this week. Uh, so sometimes what I like is that I always forget like what my um, formatting is. So I've done three different formattings <laughs> over the last three weeks. Wow. Uh, so yeah. Go ahead and check out that Patreon's Pixcast, though. It's a blast. And I just want to say thank you to the Patreons. I know it was probably really tempting to go in and cancel your subscription last week, and I wouldn't have blamed you. But no one did. You all stayed strong. You're all part of the – now we can be all suffer together. So thank thank you. Uh, and a big thanks to uh, Blake from Washington Fish Quest, who gets free advertisements in this section until someone else buys an ad. Uh, check out his channel. I uh, did not have time to do anything this week, really. So I did not want to see what his YouTube video was, but – uh, this week, but I know he's putting up two two videos a week about, so he's got to have some new content. And I still like that that mushroom video from two weeks ago. So, all right, uh, let's get into it. We I watched a movie. I can't even say the name of it because uh, oh yeah, I can't see my reflection right now, so I'm good. It's a, it's called Candyman. And, Candyman. Uh, Candyman. So oh, this this movie. I was should have tried with Beetlejuice. I was waiting for you to say something, but that's a moment past. Uh, yeah, also not, not looking in a mirror so we're, i'm all good okay so we watched the remake of Candyman. well me and kevin did eric eric you've not seen it yet i should have i should have hooked you up with the illegal link that i yeah had. Oh, i was gonna be like i was like this isn't streaming anywhere you guys yeah, it's both? 20 20 bucks to stream it yeah i'm not doing that 
yeah. So that I, but I, I, uh, I might have found a questionable way to do it because I, I think I posted in the Discord. I said, "Hey, my illegal streaming site has Dune already," because <laughs> 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 it did. It had Dune already. I was like, "Wow, this movie doesn't come out till Thursday." So I was pretty. I was actually kind of excited. I was like, "Man, I need to cut out two and a half hours to watch Doom in this uh, crappy streaming service." But I, no, I went, I went, scrolled down, found Candyman. I okay. Kevin, I want you to start. What did you, you think about the uh, the remake of Candyman? Okay, so let's start with this. What do the two of you think about the original? I like the original. I Eric, love the you... original. I think it's great. It's it was uh, it was weird when I was a kid when it came out, but I feel like it gets better as I get older. So uh, I also am a fan of the original. I think it is a clever and unique movie that came out during a time where we were getting a lot of generic slashers. Yes. So I think there's um. It's weird because there are aspects in which this movie is so much better than the original and aspects of this movie where uh, it is significantly worse. And so like, I, I, uh, I, I'm interested to hear what you think, Kevin, because you're a, lo- a fellow lover of the OG Candyman. So, so go ahead and tell me what you think. Okay, so uh, things I came away impressed with. Um, number one, I thought the visuals were really cool. Uh, The way that they use the mirrors, um, the way that the gore and the body horror worked uh, and the blend of VFX and practical effects were really cool. The shot composition in this movie is like an A plus 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 like the way that I've heard that actually they the way that things are framed up the way that that they show things. Um, A a really good example of this is that scene where the guys on the floor and the candy man's cutting that uh, the the thing and you can see the candy man in the reflection but you yes. can't see him in the in the in the normal thing and then it's cutting it oh, oh man that cutting what's he just, cutting is he cutting a rug does he he's cut no he's cutting like a um it's like a um screen that a movie's proje- being projected on yep with it with his hook yeah he's cutting the um a projector screen inside of the gallery but, uh, and, the, but the entire the gallery can't... sequence was good yeah oh, uh, man, i thought i thought a lot of the like you could tell there were certain like shot sequences, the gallery sequence, the sequence inside the one lady's uh, condo. Mm-hmm. That was all beautifully shot. Um, I love the use of light inside of the guy's art studio. I thought it was really cool. That scene in the elevator. Yes. Really cool. The, the, um, the, even just the opening scene with the, with the, the guy and the candy man coming out the wall like that, that there's like, so there's a lot of really cool shots in this movie. Um, I really liked the paper doll storytelling for the folklore mm-hmm. pieces. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good way to like brand it, blend in like kind of, um, old school folklore with like urban legend. Uh, that was really neat. Um, that was a really good way to bring in like some cultural touchstones on that. Uh, I thought the acting was pretty solid, though. There were times where the acting was really campy and the campy acting felt appropriate for horror, but not appropriate for the overall tenor of the movie. Yes. And I thought Yaya, Yaya Abdul-Mahitin was really good. And yeah. then the other actors were were hit and miss depending on the scene. Some of them were really good in one scene, and then in the next scene, I was like, uh, "Okay." And then like those the teenagers in the in the bathroom, like they, the acting was yeah. And that scene added really hardly anything to the movie. So like, and I it took a know. moment. Yes, they were they they could have spent five minutes developing the characters they wanted me to care about, which is my biggest problem with the movie is that they don't develop any of the characters enough to make me give a crap about them too much, uh, which is which is tough because I think the movie is asking me to care about the characters, but I just didn't at the end of the movie. I was like, I want to care more, but I just don't. Um, so that's yeah. kind of that's kind of that's kind of tough for me. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, though. The visuals are amazing. The, the tie-ins to the original movies I thought was really cool. Yeah. And the, um, the they, fact they kept it all in about 90 minutes. I always appreciate that. When they busted out original Candyman's voice. Yeah. I was like, I was like he, that his voice is so good. Just the way that guy talks. man. That's an all time voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the, the I don't know. It's just, it's, it got some good baritone to it. Yeah. It's yeah. just very good. Very good voice. Uh, it's, um, yeah. Okay. So let me talk about, can I talk about the things I had trouble with? Sure. Maybe maybe you'll agree. Um, I think the movie is pretty disorganized, and compared to the first movie, which kind of layers the, it does what great horror. The first movie does what great horror does. 
like five star horror does, which is it layers in the social commentary where it's it's on the edges of the movie. And you if you want to, if you squint, you might not even see it. Right. But it's but it's 100 percent there and it's it's there for you because like horror movies, that's how you really dig in. Right. As you try. And this movie, it's like a guy hitting me in the head with a book over and over. Like, I don't. I don't know, like this, uh, the literal definition of gentrification was said like a bunch of times. And anytime one of those art critics started talking, I was like, this should have been cut. Like, get this out of here. I don't like this. It's so, it's so extra to just be like hammering me with this, this, uh, that's something it, it felt like they were, uh, that, uh, the writer or the director was not confident in the point they were already making very well. I mean, this movie was this movie can be groundbreaking and thought provoking without you shoving the the stuff down my throat. And maybe, um, I don't know. It's just it, it could have been it could have been great, and instead was just good. Does that, I does that agree. make sense? It, it could have been uh, like they had the show without the tell, and then they unnecessarily like shove the tell in, which did take away from it a little bit. That that knocked my rating down a and, hair. I'll, and it's I'll and it and it's like it it was so compact and messy that like they, I think they felt like they had to do exposition like that to like kind of hold the hand of the, of the audience. Well, there's another weird thing going on. You know that they, the, they did a whole tie back to the, uh, to the woman from the original um, movie. Yeah. I mean, so I felt like some of the, some of that was because they were trying to tie in, the three Candyman movies to try and make like a Candyman extended universe situation. And I, I oh, wish CMU, they would have just let CMU. some of it go. The CMU. Uh, letting some of it go would have helped with that so that you weren't getting quite as much of like an exposition dump. Yeah. I, I really feel like I, I would love to, to hear like kind of more behind the scenes stuff about this movie because it, it feels like there's a five star movie in here, but they, they hit three stars and, they some some something happened the way this movie's put together just feels weird the the it's there's something i don't know if they were just it was rushed like they didn't have that long to finish it or i don't know what happened does that make sense so would you have um because it would have bumped up to a four-star movie for me if there would have been a little bit less art critic talking if they had taken just a little bit longer for like the investigative part because i love a paranormal mystery where like it's like a haunting well, I, ghost story thing, but then the characters just, are trying to put together what really happened. Just seeing more of his descent into madness, right? Like giving yep. us more reasons to care about him and maybe even a little bit more at the beginning of the movie, establishing his relationships to other characters. I don't I don't often say this, that a movie could <laughs> could easily be 15 minutes longer and it would make the movie better. But this movie could have been 15 minutes longer and it would have made the movie better. Um, I... I like I said, I think there's a five star movie in here and they're close to it, but it just it, you know, I think they wanted it to be ni- exactly 90 minutes long or whatever. And they 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 there was there was some cost to that. I mean, this movie cost. makes me interested in seeing what Nia DaCosta does next. This movie oh, keeps yeah. me loving what Jordan Peele's doing as a writer. So th- this gives me two people to pay a lot of attention to. And if they did a Candyman 2 coming off of this, I would 100% be down to put my money down to see it in theaters. You don't know what Nia DaCosta is doing next? You don't know that? It's uh, it's the it's the Marvels. The yeah. Captain Marvel sequel. Yeah, I know. Um, but I mean, um, like, I mean, all Marvel projects are Marvel projects. Yeah, it's the, so, they just I mean, the, I mean, oh, like what she's doing. They made the same movie 27 times with different actors. Oh, don't don't at me on that one. Sorry, guys. That's just a joke. It's just a joke, guys. It's just a joke. <laughs> just, just because I just because I'm over here watching the Batman trailer six times and just thinking about how much excited I am. About that movie. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm over here only like, six oh. times. The bat, the Batman's coming. Robert Pattinson's going to be the best Batman, and if that movie sucks. I'm going to feel. I'm going to be. I'll be all over it. Don't worry. You guys. know, I'll I'm be not devastated. I'm not. I'm not an, a Batman apologist. I know. I think so. Look at this. People are like, oh, you talk about how Marvel movies suck, but you don't talk enough about how Batman movies are bad. And then it's like, I am the hardest person on BVS and Justice League. Like, I know those are terrible movies. Also, so. it's not like it's controversial to say that a lot of the DCU movies suck. Like the reason you don't have to repeat yourself when you say that is because everyone just quietly nods. Like they're like, I tell Snyder cut. There aren't exactly a lot of justice league apologists out there. 
I'd I'd rather watch five Marvel movies than watch uh, Batman versus Superman again. I'll tell you that. All right. Um, anything else you want to say before we uh, we get out of here about Candyman? I, I mean, great acting performances. I think it's definitely worth a watch if you're looking for something for spooky season. Uh, I gave it three out of five, which is a pretty I gave solid it three rating. Three and a half, which is pretty similar there. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I will say is, um, I recommend watching this not because it's a great movie, but because it does something that's pretty unique in the horror space. And I just appreciate anytime somebody does something unique in a movie. Yeah, I think it, they, they definitely are doing a thing and they're, and they're trying to say something, which I appreciate. I always appreciate when a movie has a point of view. So, uh, yeah, that's it for Eric, for Kevin. We will see you next week and go Hawks.